Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight. I'm Annie Dickerson. And I'm Julie Lamb. Together, we're the founders of Good Egg Investments and creators of the Real Estate Accelerator. We help real estate investors and syndicators build their brands, find the right investors for their deals, and scale their businesses so they can do more and bigger deals. We believe that everyone has the power to make an impact through raising capital and helping people achieve financial freedom through real estate. We invite you to join the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight Facebook group so we can amplify our impact together. We know you're going to love this episode. And hey, be sure to stick around to the end of the show because we're going to reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing real estate podcasts on the planet. Ready? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Real Estate Syndication Spotlight brought to you by our friends at Good Egg Investments. And of course, I am your host, Rye Russell, and joining me today is Kevin, where we're going to learn all about his journey into real estate and the types of projects he's working on today. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Rye, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Well, it is an honor. Kevin, I ask everyone, as soon as we start the show, as nobody has this stereotypical journey into real estate. And so I'm curious, what was your journey like? How did you know real estate was for you? And when did you know? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. And I always like to say that I didn't find real estate. Real estate kind of found me. And so I find myself to be very lucky and blessed that ultimately um, the you know the real estate universe came and found me and uh, pulled me out of what I was doing at that current time, which was basically a student. Um, I was uh, 19 years old in community college and going to school just to go to school. Didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do in life at that point. And um, uh, ultimately uh, found a gentleman by the name of David, uh, who was a local real estate investor. Uh, he happened to be dating the mother of my girlfriend at the time. That was kind of how the <laughs> relationship came together. And uh, David was uh, uh, you know, a local full-time real estate investor. You know, he owned small uh, multifamily and single-family properties and uh, essentially had a pretty different lifestyle than what I was used to growing up and uh, lived on his cash flow. And I mean, that's what he did full time. It was just a very different dynamic than what I understood and what um, you know, I, I had experienced uh, growing up with a working class family. You know, m- Mother and father both had full-time jobs and uh, no investments to speak of other than maybe their 401k. And um, uh, I was very intrigued. I was more intrigued by the lifestyle that David had. He seemed to be always kind of around uh, during the week. And you know, normally when Older folks should be at their full-time job, right? And uh, that was intriguing to me. They had a lot of flexibility and he dressed uh, pretty fancy, drove a nice car and uh, always seemed to be drinking wine and <laughs> just, uh, again, very different lifestyle. So ultimately, I became friends with David and David David um, uh, uh, invited me to a, a real estate boot camp after a couple uh, weeks of knowing him, which was interesting because I didn't know anything about real estate at the time. But, but I was like, you know what? This guy literally spent $3,000 on this boot camp. And his business partner couldn't go. And I was like, he's inviting me to go. Why wouldn't I go? I don't even know what I'm going right. to learn, but why wouldn't I go? And so that was really the start of it. I came back from that boot camp excited, uh, overwhelmed, just really uh, what I learned there was that there was plenty of other people that weren't any smarter than I at that point. They just knew a little bit more about real estate, but they were making a ton of money and that this was uh, 
this this felt to be something that gave me energy and and gave me some excitement about the future because again I didn't know what I wanted to do as I grew into an adult and uh, this was something that I wanted to wrap my arms around and so I basically um, fell underneath David's uh, mentorship you know for about uh, about a year just over a year and um, and basically helped him in his business any way I could in between going to school and uh, attending bar in the evenings I literally was out in the field was following him around was. His errand boy. I was like, whatever he needed me to do, I was there to do it. And um, and uh, uh, ultimately uh, bought my first property at the age of twenty. After again following uh, you know, behind him, underneath him, however you want to look at it, for for about a year, or, you know, fourteen months to be exact. And uh, that was the start of it, man. A single family to to begin with, just like he had taught me, because I don't want to reinvent the wheel. And uh, acquired quite a large portfolio of single-family properties over the first couple of years in business. Started buying multifamily properties, and then uh, you know years later, diving into commercial real estate. And you know, fast forward to today, you know, many years later now, you know, twenty almost twenty years later, um, kind of aging myself, but uh, twenty years later, you know, for the the past decade or so, we've been um, investing in mobile home parks. That's kind of been our our. I guess you could say our one of our uh, primary focuses. About ninety nine percent of our time is invested in buying mobile home parks and operating them. And then more recently, we just started actually buying parking investments, so parking lots and parking garages. So that's uh, kind of the very high level condensed version of my background, how I got into real estate. That's incredible. Now I'm curious. At, at nineteen, you clearly kind of see these these different lifestyles. But did you even know what cash flow was? Did you know like the terminology, the theories behind it? No, no. I, I mean, I had never even read a book on real estate or self improvement or business or anything like that at that point in time. I, I, all I knew is that David's rentals basically uh, uh, paid for his lifestyle. I mean, he broke it down pretty simple for me. You know, I paid X amount for this house. I have a mortgage on it. This is what my monthly mortgage payment is, along with my expenses, including taxes, insurance, and just, you know, any reserves he sets aside. Um, and then here's what my tenants pay me, right? I mean, so it's, he, gave, he broke it down in a very simple format. And I'm like, I got it. And you own how many of these? Okay, I can I can do quick addition. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And uh I like it. And, you know, and the, the thing that was really intriguing that he really sold me on was like, not only do I make money today, but these folks will basically pay off this mortgage over my right. lifetime. You know, I've got a couple of homes I own free and clear now that I've owned for, you know, 15, 20 years and they're owned free and clear because my tenants paid off the mortgage. And now all that cash is mine. You know, I do not have that debt payment on them. So anyway, it just that was very simplified and it was enough to really garner my interest. I mean, to, to where I could you know, at that point in my life, I didn't have a, uh, you know, it didn't cost a lot for me to live on a monthly basis, right? I didn't have right. an expensive lifestyle. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, God, if I could just make you know, $2,000 a month of, of passive income, I mean, that's, that would replace what I make bartending. Okay. So now I, how can I duplicate that again? How can I make 4,000? I can make 6,000. And it was pretty clear as day that I didn't need to own a lot of properties to be generating that type of cash flow. That is incredible. And I think so many people at the end of the day, right, it doesn't get much more, it doesn't need to be any more complicated than I found a mentor, I I learned what I didn't know, and I created a system that I can replicate over and over and over again. You know, we, we look for kind of like this holy grail in real estate success, and every story really kinds of leans towards do the work, create the system, and then trust in the process. And so I love that you had that opportunity to get that apprenticeship 
at such an early age. And good for you for recognizing the opportunity because it could also be kind of intimidating, right? Well, here's this real estate conference. I'm 1920. What the heck am I doing there? Right. But like you said, why not? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't have anything to lose at that point in time, right? You know, again, I was kind of aimlessly going through school because that's what you're supposed to do, taking classes. I didn't really all that much enjoy. And again, for a reason I didn't understand yet because I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. <laughs> and totally. So this was something that just it excited me. It, it, it felt like, you know, the world had opened up and, um, you know, the, here's this opportunity. I needed to grab it. If I was going to do anything, I needed to grab it at that point in time, especially with David there, right? I would say that I don't know if he would have taken me there and then he would have just walked off into the distance. I don't know if I would have actually followed through with it because I, there was so sure. much I didn't understand. It was so over those three days were so overwhelming. Even the terminology that was thrown around, I didn't understand, you know, 95% of what was being taught. And so David was really critical in my overall success and my ability to, you know, kind of work underneath his tutelage for, you know, about a year and a half or so. I mean, that was, that was the game changer right there. Amazing. And now you followed your system in, in your process and you accumulated properties and you mentioned that you're now, it seems like very interested in, in mobile homes and mobile home parts. And I'm curious, you know, what is attractive about that? I know quite a few investors have really been evaluating some of these opportunities. And I'm curious, you know, where did that kind of, when did that come onto your radar? And then how do you best evaluate those? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. I would say that the main, the main transition really happened uh, probably in the, the the mid 2000s. And that one, I had acquired quite a large portfolio of single family properties, over a hundred of them, 122 to be exact. And uh, back then I wasn't married. I was single. I enjoyed working 70 hours, 80 hours a week. That's all I did. And it was fun, but I, you know, it, it took a lot of energy and effort to buy just one property, one single family home that might generate a few hundred dollars a month in cash flow. And so I got really intrigued by multifamily, being able to really replicate that process uh, with the same amount of effort. So buy a 36 unit versus a single unit property and then have a significant amount of more cash flow coming from that 36 unit property. And that's kind of that, that's what kind of opened my world up to um, not just multifamily, but commercial real estate, you know, bigger deals, bigger deals that truly move the needle. How can I move the needle in a much more significant manner? And, you know, during kind of my exploratory phase, uh, th this is right around 2011, as I was kind of looking for a, a, you know, the next thing, you know, what is, what is hot that's kind of under the radar. And I came across mobile home parks, uh, again, kind of by accident. I had a lunch with a gentleman that was a bank banker for 30 years, retired. He had a lot of clients that own mobile home parks. He saw they made a lot more money than he did. And he's like, well, I got some retirement money. Let's go buy some mobile home parks. And this was back before they were you know, really sexy asset class. And not that they're even sexy today, but everyone wants to buy them. There's private equity. There's institutional investors really pouring into the space, billions of dollars to consolidate this uh, this this industry. But back then, it, it was still very much under the radar. And I like that. I've always been a contrarian investor. I like to kind of go the opposite direction of the herd. Because ultimately, when you're following the herd, you're paying premium prices. You're not getting totally. great deals. And uh, and that's kind of where mobile home parks are today. You can still find good opportunities. But man, the cap rates have been driven down, sometimes even lower than that of multifamily. And uh, everyone's vowing for the same deals. But with that being said, what attracted me to mobile home parks were a couple things. And I kind of compare it to multifamily because it's they're, they're kind of one in the same. They're, they're different, right. but they're one in the same. 
you know, with the mobile home parks, you have a lot less turnover, right? I mean, a, a t- traditional multifamily, you might turn, you might turn uh, 50% of the units every year, maybe even 60% of the units every year. Uh, with a mobile home park, the residents own that home. It's very expensive for them to move that home. And if they don't pay their lot rent, they lose that home, which is probably the most valuable asset that they have. And so uh, very, very little turnover in the mobile home park space in comparison to multifamily. Again, the expense to move that home. And also they have a lot more to lose if they don't pay their lot rent than that person that's in the apartment complex. In addition, you know, an apartment, if they want to move, they just pack up their stuff in their car, you know, their minivan and uh, haul on off. And it's much more of an intricate, expensive process in in a mobile home park. So that was one of the big things. Another thing is, um, you know, supply demand imbalance. Uh, Mobile home parks are a couple different reasons, but they're looked at uh, in a very negative manner by municipalities. Uh, one being that there just are there's a lot of you know, mobile home parks that don't run properly. You know, they're run by slumlords, but it's really no different than that of an apartment complex or a single family you know neighborhood. Because I can, you and I can both go find in any part of town, really run down apartment complexes. We can find really run down single family homes. And then we could find the opposite end of the spectrum, really nice apartment complexes, well maintained. We can find very nice mobile home parks, very well maintained. And But for whatever reason, mobile home parks always get lumped into this one big bucket of they're all garbage. They all got bad elements in them and they attract bad people. So municipalities, they don't hand out permits for new ones to be built. And so what that means is that we've got a lot of people trying to buy these parks, but no new supplies coming onto the marketplace. And so it's a very massive supply demand imbalance. And I like that it creates a barrier to entry because if we buy a mobile home park in a phenomenal market in a great location, I don't have to worry about a developer coming in and building a new one because more than likely they're not going to get approval for that new mobile home park to be built. In addition, um, it doesn't really offer the same tax advantages for the municipality for a mobile home park than that of maybe if it was an apartment complex or a commercial building, what have you. Uh, much more of a uh, much higher tax basis on those other types of commercial properties than that of a mobile home park. So with that being said, very few new mobile home parks get built. In fact, more get torn down or redeveloped every year than that actually new come online. So just a couple of reasons. There's many more reasons I could go on for probably 20 more minutes, but uh, in any event, there's many reasons that attracted me. And that's ultimately, I made a vow the day I met Randy, Randy's the guy that I had lunch with that was a mobile home park investor. I said, you know, this is intriguing. I, I'm going to go buy a mobile home park. I'm going to, I'm going to test this theory out and, and either prove what Randy said was right or prove that it was wrong. And, uh, and I did that. It took me about a year to buy one finally. And I bought one in Atlanta and, uh, we actually owned that park. I bought it in 2012 and owned it up until literally uh, January of this year, just sold it recently. Amazing. And, um, and I've been buying them ever since. So today we own parks in 13 states and uh, I've got a pretty, uh, you know, significant size portfolio of assets. That's that's really neat. Now, I'm curious. Have, so obviously the supply is shrinking of mobile mm-hmm. home parks, but is the demand growing? Because yes. I, I just feel like the whole tiny home, I don't know that it's a craze because I think for a lot of us, it makes a lot of sense. I know for me, as a single individual, I went from a a four bedroom home to being like, "What? This isn't this isn't necessary. It's not rational. It's not practical." There's all of this square footage that I can be investing elsewhere, right? Yeah. And so for me, it's like minimizing you know the impact that's around me and maximizing the impact of my influence. And so I'm just curious if that's translating into potential opportunities there. Yeah, well, well, you know, tiny homes are a very different niche. They are 
you know, technically mobile homes, I guess you could say. Um, but the tiny home um, community or demographic is a it's a very it's very niche in and of itself, and so it doesn't sure. represent. I mean, it represents such a small component of mobile home parks, and so our typical sure. demographic is a is a working family, working class family that, you know, they, they make uh, they have a combined household income. They make, you know, 40,000 a year, 50,000 a year. And, you know, their option is to um, either rent an apartment for, you know, $1,500 a month uh, and have their, you know, raise their children in an apartment or, you know, live in a mobile home. Maybe their credit's a little damaged. They can't buy a, a home or they don't make enough money to buy a home that would be suitable for their family as far as the size and what have you, school district. And so in a mobile home, they can basically live way cheaper than that of in a uh, sure. traditional apartment. But the beauty is that they actually get their own yard. They, they can put out Christmas decorations, Christmas lights, and they probably have their own parking spaces. Uh, a very different dynamic than that of living in an apartment. They don't have neighbors above them and below them pounding on the walls or running their vacuum cleaners at 10 at night. And so it offers them the, uh, you know, the living experience of a you know, single family neighborhood but at a much lower cost basis and also allows them to get in even if they have some dings on their credit. So that's who sure. we're typically catered to. Uh, on the flip side of that, you know, another big prominent piece of uh, the mobile home park sector are retirement communities, you know, 55 plus age restricted communities. A lot of those exist down here in Florida. They exist in Arizona, California, you know, the Sunbelt states. And I would say that that's not even affordable housing. That's, you know, for the most part, those are second homes for folks, you know, people that live sure. in the Northeast that want a place in a sunny environment where they can you know, go escape their dreary gray winter days wherever they might live up north and come down south. And so um, those are the two most prominent demographics that mobile home parks serve. And so lifestyle communities, you know, second homes, or affordable options um, for folks that either have a choice of just living in an apartment or you know, they can't afford a, a, a stick-built home. So but the tiny, homes, in, the tiny homes are very niche, you know, I'd say like, yeah, in, in, in they're trendy. So in an Austin, Texas or Asheville, North Carolina or Chattanooga, you know, like it, these little pocket areas, Las Vegas. I know there's a number of tiny home communities where there's it's just it serves you know, the demographics got to be just right. It's either got to be an empty nester uh, totally. that literally is downsizing or just a single individual that doesn't need much space. Uh, they're very you know, they're all about living that minimal lifestyle. But, you know, the average folk, even the single people or the empty nesters, most folks can't adapt. They think I think they see the allure, the minimal lifestyle. But most folks can't adapt to that living in, you know, 400 square feet. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's been a hard transition, uh, but one that that I've enjoyed just like I said, for me personally, it was just about like, why there's so much space around me and it's so unproductive. Let's put it to use. Do you live uh, in a do you live in a tiny home now? No, 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 but a much smaller home than I did. Okay. Uh, okay. And that was one thing that the pandemic brought on, right? It being here in Maine, the individuals that you talk about coming to Florida in the winter, we call them snowbirds. And that's something that I think you know most of us, right? There's a there's kind of a a certain barometer in the journey of life that we're all waiting to get to so we can be those snowbirds uh, coming and going to the trailer parks of Florida because it is a second home and it's a, it's yeah. a great opportunity. Uh, so that's just brilliantly fascinating. And I really appreciate you introducing me because I've been hearing so many investors talking about some incredible opportunities, investments that they've made into 
these opportunities here. And so it's just great that you're here to kind of break it down further. And now for the audience that's that's tuning in, Kevin, what are the types of projects that like you're working on right now that you're excited to talk about? Yeah. So we've got a number of mobile home parks uh, currently in the pipeline. Um, you know, at any given time, we probably have two or three properties in, in contract and due diligence. And then, as I'd mentioned, you know, one of the other asset classes that we've ventured into over the past year or so has been parking. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, key located uh, parking surface parking lots or parking uh, garages, parking structures in downtown central business districts or, uh, you know, highly uh, highly visited tourist locations. So beach towns, think of, you know, again, Florida, Florida, we have a number of beach towns. And um, so a couple of projects I'm super excited about is we we currently uh, are in due diligence on a large uh, parking structure uh, in one of the most prominent beaches down here in Florida. Uh, it just happens to be a somewhat of a distressed opportunity uh, because it was a private partner, uh, a private uh, developer, public partnership with the city. And uh, there's been a lot of tension over the years that they've had this partnership together and ultimately have both vowed to sell, which has created a, a great opportunity for us. So really excited about that one. It's a fairly large deal. It's 30 plus million dollars. And then uh, you know, excited about the mobile home parks we have in contract. You know, we're pretty, we're pretty, we're we're pretty strict on our criteria. You know, uh, we like to buy with a significant margin of safety, so we like buying off market, direct to owner. And a lot of times, it takes us, you know, sometimes months or years of fostering relationships with with sellers uh, as we kind of wait wait for the right opportunity for them to decide to sell, but also for us to buy it at the right price. And so we've got a park right now in Georgia that we're in contract with and one up in North Carolina in the Raleigh-Durham area that we're super, super excited about. And, you know, I'd say the probably the most exciting part of our business today, uh, aside from mobile home parks, is really the parking side of it. And, and the reason being is that the parking industry, in addition to hospitality, you know, the, the, the hospitality, when we think of real estate that got impacted during COVID, hospitality immediately comes to mind. Hotels absolutely got crushed. They got their butts handed to them and it's still not over. I mean, like they're, unless they're in a, a Florida or in Arizona, unless they're somewhere sunny and on a the beach, they're still getting uh, severely impacted. However, one of the other industries that got severely impacted was parking. You know, par- people weren't mo- you know driving downtown to their their office buildings, and uh, for a long period of time, uh, unless you were in Florida, people weren't driving even to the beach. You know, they weren't going on vacation, uh, and so folks weren't parking. And so the parking industry took a took quite a bath last year. It it is coming back. Uh, the Sun Belt states, it's already back to 70 percent of what it was, but there's plenty other markets where it's not. And so that's created some distress, and uh, there's cracks starting to show and to us, that represents opportunity, right? We've got a lot of dry powder. And so we're super excited about the parking business and acquiring parking lots uh, here over the next uh, year or two as a result of the pandemic and things that get flushed out as distressed opportunities as a result of the pandemic. So that's fascinating. I, it makes perfect sense as you say it and explain it, but it's not, it was not even an idea that was on my radar and that is it, but it's so true. And it makes so much sense, you know, especially, you know, where I'm located with, you know, the beaches around uh, in kind of the industrial parks, I, I got to see it firsthand, you know, and so it just, it it's right there and it's an incredible opportunity. And so Kevin, for those that are interested in connecting with you further, what is the best way for us to do? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So two different ways. Um, first one, if you want to learn about what we're doing with the company as far as mobile home parks and parking lot investments, you can go to our company website, which is sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. And you know, through the contact us page, you can reach myself or one of the other associates uh, in our group. And then my personal website, uh, kevinbupp.com. There I I also I host uh, my podcast, Real Estate Investing for Cashflow. Um, I also have another podcast, which is a mobile home park investing podcast, and there's links to that show as well. So either one of those two websites, uh, anyone could reach me. Perfect. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. Right. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Well, and of course, we're so excited that all of you tuned in and joined us as well. Be sure to check out our show notes and we'll add those links in there so you can connect directly with Kevin. And of course, we're always going to see you on the next episode of Real Estate Syndication Spotlight brought to you by Good Egg Investments. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight. If you are a real estate investor or syndicator who would like to be on this podcast, please visit syndicationspotlight.com and please also join the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight Facebook group so we can connect with you and learn more about you. And if you got something out of this episode, we'd love it if you could subscribe to this show and give us a rating and review. We promise to read your feedback and take action to continue to make this show even better and more valuable for the real estate syndication community. My name is Annie Dickerson. And I'm Julie Lamb. Thanks for listening. And thank you for being a part of the real estate syndication spotlight community.